Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we're continuing in the topic, the greatness of the gospel. Do you remember that now? Is it starting to ring in your ears? Repetition is a teacher's best friend, so we're saying this a lot. And we had a booklet for you. I think they're all gone from the tables, but I think everyone here has picked one up in the past. However, I have an online version up for you. Call that a PDF, but you could see the booklet that we're referring to, and I'd encourage you to, to read it a few times. It's really short at this address, gracevcf.org slash gospel. If you go there, you will find the booklet that we're talking about. It's a booklet that Phil Strout, the director of the national director of the vineyard in the US wrote. And one of the things he said was the gospel is always relevant. The gospel is always transformative. And the gospel is always our central message. It's always relevant. We don't have to work to make it relevant. We don't have to doctor it up to make it relevant. We don't have to decorate it to make it relevant. The gospel, as it's presented, the good news about Jesus is always relevant to people's lives. It always transforms lives. And it's always the central message of the church. In other words, we do lots of things. You know, we do go on missions trips and we do build houses and we do feed the poor and we do um, Christian therapy when necessary. We do all sorts of things, but none of those things have the power to transform a person from the inside out. Only the gospel has that power. So we need to never get um, insecure about the gospel. You think, oh, well, we don't have something good to say. You know, people probably don't care, probably don't need this. I don't know if it's still effective. I mean, it's kind of old. It's a couple thousand years old. So, you know, no, it's still relevant. It's still transformative. It's still our central message. So we're leaning into that. Um, I'm going to read a quote from Phil Strout out of that book. And then I'm going to um, pray. And then we'll, we'll dive into what we're talking about. You all good? Are you discouraged that the wind came back? <laughs> He's going to find it again. <laughs> so here's what, what. Here we go again. The gospel is the good news. The word translated gospel translates the Greek word that means an announcement that's a really good, really exciting, life-changing announcement. The good news that God intervened on behalf of humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel rests on the history of Jesus Christ, his birth, his obedient life, his atoning death, his physical resurrection from the dead, and his, in, and his ascension into heaven, where he poured out the Holy Spirit. In the end, he will set all things right as it was intended. And in the end, there will be no sound systems with wind blowing. <laughs> so, Lord, we're going to talk more about your great good news. And we pray that you would speak to us. You would grow us that we will be not the same after we go through this 
time of teaching and study and rejoicing in your good works. In Jesus' name, come and help us. Amen. Ah, do you want me not to use my this one anymore? Yeah. I can do that. Remember the hello? Hello, hello, hello. Remember the Dr. Phil show? So now I could walk around like that, right? So <laughs> remember Dr. Phil and he'd hold it like this. Um I guess I'm old, huh? You guys, are you uptight today? Do we need to like loosen up? Okay, because I'm being silly and someone looked at me like Side dish they didn't order. Didn't order steamed vegetables. What's that? I ordered French fries. Okay. <laughs> so, the, a, a few times now we've been talking about the, the greatness of the gospel, and we've had someone tell their story of how they came to faith in Jesus. Remember, the gospel in its simplicity is this Jesus plus nothing. We are saved, we're made right with God, and we enter into new life. By putting our trust, our faith in Jesus. His whole life, his whole ministry, his life now. It's Jesus plus nothing. So um, from time to time, we've been having people come and just tell their story of how they ended up putting their faith in Jesus. They experienced the gospel. They experienced grace. And one of the homework assignments for all of us, if you remember, is to go have lunch with someone. You can do that, right? Eat. We all like to eat. And over lunch or dinner or whatever environment, I certainly like good coffee and French pastries, whatever works for you. Tell your story. How did you get to know Jesus? It's surprising how encouraging and exciting and faith building it is just to tell the story. So I've asked Steve to come up, but we're going to be talking in particular about transformation. And when is your mic on now? Let's see. Yeah. You, you're good. I'm the, one with the I'm the troublemaker. So we were talking about transformation, and I was in his office this week, and I said, what does transformation to mean to you? Do you remember what you said? I said, well, I have to bring that to memory again. Wow. I said, uh, something, can't, something went away from me, and then something came into me, and that thing changed everything. You say that again? Something went away from me and something came into me and that changed everything. Transformation is what was part of you no longer isn't. What wasn't part of you now is. Yeah. And it changes everything. So here's a couple of verses because we're at Christian church, so we're reading the Bible. <laughs> here's a couple of verses about transformation. First, um, can, can anyone guess? Let's see you're going to guess. Anyone what comes to mind? Oh, Bible students. I'm going to do Romans 12. Anyone, any ideas? Bible students? There you go. You know it. Paul writes this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, the whole, you know, he's responding now to 11 chapters of systematically talking about God's mercy in bringing Jesus to take away our sins. God's mercy on Jewish people, on non-Jewish people, on moralistic people, on immoral people, on all kinds of people, every kind of person, God has shown mercy in bringing the gospel. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. 
This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but here's the transformation, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's a description to people who are already followers of Jesus about the transformation process involving renewing our mind. And what, what you already get here is that we put faith in Jesus, he changes us, and then we partner with him and walk it out. And we are transformed into something that we weren't. Something that was part of us is gone. Something that was not part of us has come, and we are new people. And then another section of scripture that might not come to mind right away about transformation is in Galatians, where Paul's writing to the church there, the Christians in Galatia, and he does a comparison of what we were like and what we become like, what we were like before Christ, what we become like after Christ. And this is an important passage because it's, um, as, as you'll see when Steve tells his story of, of coming to a place where we put faith in Jesus, this scripture was a crucial part of his story when he heard me reading it one time. And he'll, he'll get to that, but I want to read it to you first as kind of a foretaste. So this is Paul writing to the church at Galatia. These are Christian people. And he reminds them this in Acts, I mean, Galatians 5.19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They are, aren't they obvious? Just listen to this list. Sexual immorality, yeah. Impurity, yeah. Debauchery, that sounds really bad. Yeah. Debauched is when you're like kind of corrupted and just, ugh. Idolatry, that's when you put anything ahead of God. Witchcraft, oh, that's when you look for power outside of God. Maybe to the dark side. Maybe you call up the psychic hotline. Maybe you go to a medium. You're looking for power apart from God. Witchcraft. And you're looking to control with power. That's witchcraft. Hatred. This is the acts of the sinful nature. They're obvious. This is the stuff that gets taken out when we get transformed. We get right with God by the power of the gospel, the greatness of the gospel. Jealousy, yeah. Fits of rage on the five freeway. Selfish ambition. Go ahead, everybody. Merge. I'm not in a hurry. You know that. Dissensions. Oh, that's when you, you have some kind of unity in a group of people, and you get in and you just throw in your little word bomb and create some division. Anyone ever do that one? Just some of us are so skilled at dissension. We come in with a smile. We're in a meeting and we just so just a sneaky little word and act like, what did I do? I didn't do anything, but we've just created a war. Dissensions. Where was I? Factions. That's what dissensions turn into. Envy, drunkenness, okay, orgies, well, and the like. I warn you. As I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, now, this is the transformation. This is what you were. Now, this is what you become when you've put your faith in Jesus. He's changed you from the inside out. And now, like a tree, you bear fruit. And the kind of fruit is this. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who belong, here's the story of transformation. If you belong to Jesus, that old sinful nature was crucified with Christ. That's part of the gospel. We put our faith in Jesus and his death becomes ours. They've crucified 
the sinful nature and they put on the nature of Christ. The sinful nature with its passions and desires have been crucified and we were raised to new life in Christ. So that verse is a crucial verse that describes transformation, the power of the gospel. Know that verse, by the way. If you don't know that, uh, read it again. Read it again. Soon we'll have this on a podcast and we'll put these verses in the notes with the podcast. Read it again. Know these truths. This is what it was. This is what it will be when we put our faith in Jesus. So all that brings me to Steve. Tell us your story of how you somehow came to be someone who put your faith in Jesus, because I don't think you were born doing that. No. Um, actually, uh, my family, none of them went to church. Um, we didn't really talk about God much. Um, I think at the time, my mom believed there was a God, but uh, she wasn't really sure of a name or what he wanted from us exactly. We all just tried to be good people. And uh, I remember... Uh, I think it was a Bethel Baptist church used to send a big white bus with blue letters on it to our neighborhood. Um, I, I, I started out in a very poor neighborhood in Pittsburgh, California, and um, they would send this bus and bring us into Concord, and uh, we'd get to worship and go into the, where the kids were, and I may have been five, if that old. I remember trying to uh, bring the gospel to my dad, and... Um, he said it was, it was great that I believed in that, but it wasn't for him. And um, I remember being heartbroken, and, uh, but I didn't let him know that. And then um, for whatever reason, I wasn't getting on that bus anymore. I, I don't remember if the bus just quit coming or what, but uh, it was a long time before I heard about Jesus again. And that was when uh, my mom was married to my stepdad and uh, he started taking us to this tiny little church in Brentwood, California. And I'm still trying to figure out why we drove like four towns over to go to church. But um, that's what we did. It was this great little church. And I was 11. And he decided to get baptized. So I got baptized with him. And um, I remember just thinking it was awesome. And I really loved this church. And they were great people. But uh, my stepdad turned out to be not so great. And... Um, my my mom ended up divorcing him and uh I remember thinking if that's what Christianity is I don't want any part of it and I also think it's interesting that like this church was like it, it was a huge church I think there might have been 20 people and um we would all go out to lunch together after right but there was these 20 wonderful people that was, were really awesome to me but this one guy made me think ah if that's Christianity I don't want any part of it um, it's funny how that works, right? And so uh, I, I had nothing to do with Christ after that for many years and uh, fell into addiction and the addiction got worse and worse and worse. And um, I was uh, 28 when I finally got sober and uh, I had had a relapse and um, I walked all night and a guy I knew from meetings um, was driving around and uh, he saw me. He was, he actually, I was, I walked past Shell Oil and I lived in Martinez and I walked past the refinery and, and it blew up and I watched the flames for a while and he worked there and got sent home. And so uh, as I was walking to find a place to sleep, he pulled up and opened the door and I knew him from Narcotics Anonymous meetings. And uh, 
he's all, Steve, what's up? Get in. And I'm like, you know, it's like three in the morning. And uh, I'm like, I'm loaded. And he's all, you got any more? And I said, no. He's like, get in. And um, so we drove all night. And he said that the reason I had relapsed was I didn't have a higher power and that I could borrow his. Because um, I really wasn't interested in religion. You know, that's what I would have said back then. And uh, when the sun came up, uh, he said, okay, it's, it's time to do this. The sun's up. It's a new day. Um, this is going to be your first day and you're going to need help. So uh, let's pray to my higher power until you find one. And so we, played, we prayed to Jesus. And uh, I remember feeling great, um, like, like better than any drug. And uh, a few days later, I ran into my sponsor and let him know that I had relapsed and told him what had happened, like this awesome thing happened, and I feel great. And he let me know how that guy had wronged me and how dare he force his religion down my throat. And, um, and uh, it's funny, because we weren't in a meeting. He hadn't violated any tradition, but somehow this is so wrong. And... Uh, he gave me a book that said, you should do this instead. It was called A Course in Miracles. And, uh, and um, I remember not being interested in that, and, but I did walk away from Jesus. Now, you have to understand that that first day, that first morning praying, I asked Jesus to keep me clean. And I told him I would follow him forever if he kept me clean. You know, that, that desperate prayer you have in front of the toilet, you know, God, get me out of the, you know, and uh I made a deal. And uh, well, the funny thing is, is a few days later, I recanted. Like, I'm done. No, I don't want none of this Jesus. My sponsor says he's no good. And uh, Jesus kept his, his part of the deal. And, and it's kind of sad, though, because I stayed clean, but I didn't have anything to help me with me. Um, I mean, I did the steps I, I, multiple times, and I, I became a service junkie, and, and I did all this stuff. And, um, but everywhere I went, there was me, and I was never enough. Um, I, I met Lisa in Monterey, and um, she thought she was a Christian. Uh, <laughs> um, she didn't go to church, and she didn't pray. And she thought she was a Christian. And uh, she... Uh, I don't think she actually knew Jesus, but she called herself that. And uh, we ended up moving down here, and that's when she moved in with me. And um, every day, things just got worse, and I got emptier. And uh, here I am in a new place uh, for a few years. Um, I still didn't feel like I had made any friends. I had this girlfriend in my life that lived with me and she had a kid in high school that lived with us who thought I was the antichrist and um everything was horrible and and every day it just got worse and I I just got more empty and I decided that I would uh go look for God but I, I knew he wasn't in church and so um I I found out there was a a, a Buddhist temple up north at this uh this church and, or I mean, a, a college. And I went up there and uh, he, he wasn't there. And, and did you know that Buddhists don't believe there is a God? So it's a really dumb place to look for God. Um, <laughs> now, mind you, I had studied Buddha or Buddhism before and still didn't get that. Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, I went to this universalist church out in Escondido the following Sunday. And I, isn't it weird that I, I always went on a Sunday, even to the Buddhist place, right? Something, something's odd about this. And um, I went out to that and um, it just seemed weird to me. And, but I, I wasn't judging them. I, I just didn't find God. And that's what I was looking for, you know? And um, I didn't know what God looked like or smelled like or whatever, but I knew that it was, he wasn't there. And so the following week, um, I had a friend named Mike, uh, um, in NA they call him Spike Mike, and uh, he was looking for God at the same time. And so we decided we would go to Swami's and check it out. And he took me there. And, yeah, that's, I guess that's what it's called. And it was weird because they had flowers in the middle. And, you know, that was different than anything I had ever seen. Usually you have God in the middle or a symbol of God in the middle. And, and they, he had a, uh, they had flowers in the middle and then Jesus over to the left. And then at the same height, this other guy that uh, dressed like Jesus. And, um, and they had him equal to Jesus. And the guy got up and spoke and talked about how he was equal to Jesus. And, and I'm like, you know, I don't really believe in Jesus, but that don't sound right to me. And so, uh, but on that same day, Lisa, being the wonderful little codependent she was, uh, she uh, came to this church to check it out for me. She didn't want to come, but um, she had heard that, like, some of our friends went here from N.A. And, uh, and so she, when I got home, she's like, how'd you like it? And I'm like, it wasn't very good. Um, yeah, I, I still haven't found God. She's like, well, check out Grace. Um, you know, we know some people there, uh, Michelle's there, and Dilly's there, and George Ward is there, and Ka I think Kathy was there then too, and, uh, and I'm like, uh, okay, and so um, the next week, I came, and uh, I, by this time, I'm not really trusting anything, and, uh, and so I stood back there against the back wall, and um, very safe place, right by the door next to the exit, and uh, had my back against the wall. Nobody could get behind me. And uh, I was terrified. And um, back then, this stage wasn't here. And we had this wonderful stained glass wood podium and candles, and little candle operas on each side. And uh, I just thought that was weird. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm really, I'm not feeling it. You know, I'm still not feeling God in this place. And you guys are got rock music going on and that's not feeling very spiritual. And, uh, and I'm just like, something's wrong here. And then Ron gets up in front of the podium and he says that uh, he doesn't feel like he's supposed to give the message that he prepared. And I'm thinking, what kind of place is this? You know, I mean, he's not even prepared. That's what it is. But he says that uh, the spirit wants him to say something else. And he stepped away from the podium and he started talking. And it was the scripture that he just talked about, only not the nice half of it. <laughs> it was the sin part. And anyone who knows Ron, he's never done this again, right? It's not Ron. But uh, he was like, he ripped apart each one of these sins and like, explained all of it and he didn't exactly put it in its best light and um and each time he mentioned one i could feel a stab in my chest and um wow i was in the back crying and uh 
I had never felt anything like that. Now, I want you to understand, I didn't feel shame or guilt. I felt emptiness. And for the first time in my life, I knew that it wasn't because I grew up poor and it wasn't because my dad was an alcoholic and it wasn't because of the things that happened to me all my life. It was because the choices I made made me like what he was describing. I understood that I did this to myself and I didn't know what to do with that. Now, mind you, in that sermon, I still did not want anything to do with Jesus. But I knew what my problem was that I was like that. And so when they did the altar call at the end and people are coming for prayer, and back then there was this huge prayer team, there's all these people, and uh, I didn't want to talk to them. and I didn't want to pray. I wanted to talk to this guy who obviously had my answer, Ron. And uh, so I came and I sat, well, it, it would be where Bonnie's sitting right now in the, in the front row, that seat, but there used to be two more rows. And, um, and I was sitting there waiting for Ron to finish up with all this silly prayer stuff. And four different people came up and asked, do you want prayer? And I'm like, no. I mean, I wasn't even nice about it. You know, <laughs> I was like, I was like that 13 year old girl you're trying to be nice to. And she's like, nah, you know, <laughs> and like, and, uh, and so they went away, you know, and uh, finally when it was all over, Ron did not ask me if I wanted prayer. He may have heard, I don't know, but he came and he, he sat a couple seats away from me and, started talking to me and he was very kind and he was very gentle. And uh, he asked me uh, what I needed. And I told him that I had done every sin that he had said. And I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't know what to do about that. And he talked about Jesus. And we, we spoke for a long time. And I don't remember everything that was said. But I remember at one point, I don't remember the exact words, but at one point he asked me, are you, are you ready? You know, you ready to get with this Jesus thing? And uh, with tears coming down my face, I said, I have nothing to offer him. And uh, Ron looked at me with that grin, that understanding grin, which I have no idea how he understood, but he did apparently. And he said, that's the point, isn't it? And at that point, I no longer had a choice. <laughs> it's, it's like you're free falling off a cliff and someone goes here, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I grabbed on and I, I prayed with him. He, he led me in a prayer and I felt something. My whole life, I had been arguing against Christianity because I had such a resentment against my stepdad. I, I used to laugh at you guys. And, and I would say things like, like, Jesus never called himself God. He called himself the son of man. You know, who knows what that is? And I had all this stuff. And none of that was relevant anymore. Because anything like that didn't make sense. When, when, you, when you touch a hot kettle, no one can tell you it's not hot after that. And uh, that didn't fit with anything I understood. Nothing. But I didn't care. And so from that moment on, everything changed. And I didn't seem to fit anywhere anymore. And so uh, I started coming here and asking what I called very rebellious questions. And uh, I was most comfortable asking these questions to Tony Isom. 
because he was young and uh and he was cool to me and um I would ask him all these things like what about dinosaurs and who married Adam and Eve and where's their marriage certificate and uh the really important question the really important questions because without that who could believe right did Adam have a belly button <laughs> Oh, oh, one brother killed the other and he went off into another country and took a wife and they were the only humans. What exactly did he marry? Those kind of questions, you know? And, uh, and uh, Tony was very gentle with me. And uh, sometimes he, he would uh, have an answer for me. And sometimes he'd say, I have no idea, but when I see you next week, I'll have one for you. And I just thought that was so awesome and cool. And uh, Ron would talk to me during the week and uh, give me Bible things to read. And uh, I don't know. Eventually, I felt like I needed to change because everything inside of me was changing. And so I, I learned enough from NA that your behavior needs to change too. And so my behavior was no longer feeling okay. And uh, I remember getting a hold of Jose and asking him what to do about the fact that Lisa wouldn't marry me. Because see, uh, that was one of the areas in my life that was proving that I wasn't enough. Because I had been trying for seven years to get this woman to marry me. And uh, she was willing to move in, but she wasn't willing to marry me. And uh, I asked him if I should move out and pay the rent for six months, um, give her time. And he said, no, there's a kid involved. That's going to feel like a divorce to that kid. I got a better idea. Move to the couch. And uh, I laughed at him, but I thought about it, and I did it. And we were married 30 days later. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, everything changed. Um, if you ask me, I'm still not enough. But I don't have to be anymore because I have him. And because of him, I have the fruit of the spirit in me. And that list of nine changes everything. It changes everything. Thanks. That was awesome. The gospel. Oh, yeah. The gospel is always transformative. It by itself is transformative. The power of God is transformative. So it's worth, I think, walking this out a little bit. It's not you get saved or you get right with God by believing in Jesus plus stop doing drugs. It's not you get saved, you get right with God by believing in Jesus Plus, you stop living with your girlfriend. It's not you get saved by believing in Jesus plus anything. The moment we add anything to the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, we make his work worthless. We say, oh, we have to do more because he wasn't enough. But Steve's last words were, I realize I'm not enough. Now, that's the truth. We're not enough. He is everything. And the gospel is called a scandal. Is it really a scandalous to people to tell them 
you're not enough. You got nothing to add to Jesus. Zero. He came to a place of being transformed when he said, I've got nothing to offer. And it was like, finally. That's how salvation happens. I don't know any religion. I haven't found the right practice of religion. I, I know nothing. I have to put my faith in Jesus. And the moment I put my faith in Jesus, everything changes. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus something ruins everything. This is our message, people. The gospel is always relevant. It's always transformative. And it's always our central message. We will do well to become a people where every single one of us are so confident in the simplicity of the gospel that we will gladly tell anyone, I know what you need. I know the solution to your problem. You do? Yeah, I know the solution. The solution to your problem is a person. You put your trust in him, you get everything. You put your trust in anything else, you get nothing. But if you'd like to spend a few years searching, by all means, go ahead, if that will help you. You'll waste a lot of time and hurt a lot of people and hurt yourself. If that's what you need to do, I guess sin makes you stupid, so go for it. But I would recommend put your faith in Jesus. And he'll change everything. Time is it? Time to land this ship, as they say. Oops, that's but, much to spoke too long. No, you were perfect. You were perfect, Steve. Was that good? Okay, was that not faith building? Isn't it great to hear these stories? Your homework, should you accept it, <laughs> is to, if you're afraid to tell your story, ask someone their story. Then they'll ask you your story, and then you'll tell your story. Um, here's one more verse on the transforming power of the gospel. Can't remember if I gave this to um, Connor to put it on the screen, so you may just have to listen. We'll see. It's Philippians 2.12. I don't think I gave you that one. Did I? We'll see. Philippians 2.12. Oh, yeah. You know, when, when Steve started hanging around and asking, what should I read in the Bible? I told him I tell a lot of people, there's a really short little book that you'll like. It's called Philippians. It's a letter to a group of people in a place called Philippi. So that's called Philippians. I said, read that. And as in his assignment, this worked out. This is so silly, but it works out for people. I said, look for every occurrence of the word joy or rejoice or glad in this book and circle it and see if you can count how many times it shows up, which makes you really attentive when you read. read. So he read Philippians. But in that letter, Paul talks about transformation in, this, in these words. And he highlights what I'm trying to say and trying to get us to really, really deeply know in the, in the deepest fiber of our being. Grace is Jesus plus nothing. 
Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Life in God is Jesus plus nothing. So you don't come to faith by God's grace plus nothing you do. And then from then on, now that you know, it's up to you to do some things. You understand that? My kids never stop being my kids. Their being my kids has nothing to do with how good they are or how bad they are. They will never stop being my kids. Once I'm God's kid, I never stop being his kid. He doesn't lose me. I can't sin enough to outdo God's righteousness. Do you understand? This is so important. This is such good news. It's scandalously good news. I mean, people got, when you teach this the way Paul taught it, religious people get mad. People were mad at Paul. And they said what you might be thinking. Don't you know if you tell people that, they're going to go sin? That's what they said to Paul. If you tell people that it's all God's grace and no works, don't you know that's going to make people want to sin? And they said, don't, are you saying that we should sin, that there'd be more grace? And he's like, no. If you've discovered the grace of God, the last thing you want to do is try to sin. It's not how it works. No one, no one hears that Jesus gave his life when he didn't have to and died a brutal death to atone for my sins and pay for them all. No one who has become aware of their sinfulness. Did you notice he could not help his voice starting to crack and tears started to come just remembering the reality of the sinful nature that he lived in. Did you see that? That's, that wasn't rehearsed. That's what people do. When we discover I have made a mess of things and I can't fix it. And we hear the good news, but Jesus did. And all I have to do is trust in him and he'll make everything right. And all of my sin becomes irrelevant and is washed away. And I become as if I've never sinned because I trusted in him and he gave me his righteousness. And I stand before God perfectly pure, just like Jesus, because I did nothing. Amen. When you believe that, you never think, therefore, I want to start sinning more. No. no one does that. Grace is Jesus plus nothing. So I was going to tell you Philippians, right? It was up on the screen. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul writes to this church, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but also now that I'm not with you, he's writing a letter. I'm not with you to watch over you. You're not doing this for my sake. You're not doing this to try to please me. In my absence, I say, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, it sounds like I have to work now. No, for it is God who works in you. Work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. What does he work in you? To will. He works your choices, your, your will, that part of you that is God-like, the ability to make choices. You're made in the image of God, and what you have is the ability to choose what you do with your body. You have choice. It's God who works in you, though, to choose. It's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Work out your salvation, the transformation that he's already done in you. Since he's transformed you, now live it out. 
And we discover that as we simply live out what God's already done by his transforming work, we have love, no more hatred. It's replaced by love. And that covers over the hatred, the dissension, the sexual immorality. All of those things are reversed by loving people. Love and joy, a pervasive sense of well-being. It is well with my soul. I have joy no matter the circumstances. We have love, joy, peace. Oh, I don't have to strive anymore. I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with my neighbor. I'm approved by God. God loves me. We're on level ground. All of us come before him on level ground. I'm at peace with you. Love, joy, peace, patience. Now, because I understand God's patience for me, I can be patient for other people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kind to people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I'm starting to do good things. I'm no longer doing bad things. I'm doing good things because God has transformed me. I'm working out this, this out, what he's done in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I'm now a faithful person. My word is my bond. I do what I say and I say what I do. I'm faithful. You can trust me. That's a good transformation. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, isn't it nice to be around someone who has a gentle spirit? And then the, well, the one that just puts it all together, self-control. That is the transformative work of the gospel because the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news about what God has done to come and transform this world is always transformative. Jesus met a very religious man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a religious leader who was as righteous as you could be. Talk about doing good. And in our world, we, have, we can't get away from this idea that if something good happens, well, you must have been doing right. You ever hear that? He must have been living right. Something bad happens and we think, well, it caught up with him. He must have been doing something wrong. That is our world system. We can't get away from it. That's why the gospel of grace is so offensive. It's counter to our everything about our world. It's not about doing good. It's not about doing bad. It's not getting what you deserve. It's not. The transforming power of the gospel, Jesus is describing to this religious guy this, who did everything right, Nicodemus, and Jesus said to him, you, religious leader, best of the best, righteous of the righteous, in your own self-righteousness, cannot even see the kingdom of God unless you've been born all over again. Jesus used these words, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, the religious leader, said, what on earth are you talking about? I'm an old man. How could I possibly enter my mother's womb? And Jesus said, you're the teacher of Israel. You don't know this. I'm just telling you basics. Don't you know that flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit? I'm telling you, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born of the spirit. How does that be? He said, listen, you put your faith in me. I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. You put your faith in me. And you'll be born again. And then the following sentence Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, the Son of Man, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son to condemn the world, but through him to save the world. 
put your faith in Jesus. People, we've got a dynamite message. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the grace of God. And if you are in this room and you haven't experienced transformation, if you're watching on Facebook Live right now, live or in the future, if you're listening on a podcast, if you're in our Zoom room, I tell you, the good news, the announcement of what God has done. If we put our faith in Jesus, everything changes. The world is transformed. So I, I give you an invitation right now. Realize I have nothing to offer, like Steve said. Look to him and say, Jesus, I have nothing. So I put my trust in you. I believe that you have everything. Jesus, come and save me. Jesus, wash away my sins. Jesus, come into my life. And you will be born again prayed that I just led you in you are born again hey Kent are you in the building with the band we'll end our time with some worship folks we're, it's time to close this up if you're in zoom I, I didn't check with the folks facilitating the zoom rooms but generally there's a place a, a breakout room for prayer and you guys that are they're uh, connecting with each other. Could you set that up right now and give people an opportunity to go to a prayer room? If you're in the building, I, I'm 99% sure there's going to be a couple people that are going to come to the front. If I don't see anyone, I'll come to the front. But we'll make ourselves available to pray for you. There's power in prayer. We'll practice what we've been talking about. We'll encourage. If you have any needs in your life, in your body, in your spirit, relationships let's pray for each other steve did you have any i just should shut up for a second and see if you had anything to say any final words um i kind of feel like maybe there's somebody in here that is really feeling not enough today and and, and not in an okay way like you're not enough and there's nothing to fix it and if you're that person i'm going to be right over here praying so so come talk to me steve could you could you just Pray a prayer of blessing over us, and then um, we'll hand it over to Anton Jeannie, who are going to sing, I think, about the goodness of God. We'll end our time that way. But you just pray a prayer of blessing over us, okay? All right. Lord, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for the transformation that you have put on each and each one of us and all of us together, the transformation that you've been doing to this building for so many years. Lord, I ask that you bless us today. Lord, I ask that your love pours out of heaven and covers us today in a blessing that we can't even comprehend. Lord, become tangible to us today. In the same way that my voice was cracking earlier, Lord, crack everyone's voice in here and honest of the grace that you pour on us. In Jesus' name that I pray.
We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.